At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. This show is brought to you by The Makery, the podcast network for makers. Hey, what's up, everybody? It's Brian House, and you are listening to the Full Blast Podcast with Jeff Fader. Jeez, that is so good. Guys, yeah. <laughs> we're here. We're here. I'm here with Brian House. Before we get into the Full Blast Podcast with Brian House, thank you very much, Brian. Um, let's just talk about a couple things. Number one, Axe Wax. Axe Wax is an all-natural food-safe wax for your handles, for your axes, for your hammers, your Damascus, whatever you got. I'm finishing off a pile of knives. I, I have, I'm a little bit like stressed out for Christmas stuff, and I'm going to be sending out a big set of uh, walnut-handled knives and oak barrel knives, and I'm going to be using some Axe Wax because I know that these are going to be, these are steak knives, and I'm, be, and I'm comfortable with the fact that, these, that it's all natural food safe. It finishes great, and I don't have to put anything icky. I'm not, I'm not putting anything icky on them to make the, the customer... You know, I'm not nervous about it. So I love Axe Wax. It's great stuff. And if you go to axewax.us, put in promo code FULLBLAST10, you'll get 10% off your order. And that's great. So why don't you get yourself a couple pucks of Axe Wax? 10% off makes a big difference. You can give it a try, see what you think. It's great on a lot of things. Great on your boots, on your leather. Some people even put it in their hair. I've heard it. I'm not supposed to say it, but I'm saying it. So that's the way it is. So next thing, your website. You need to start to think about your website as something that's going to help you in your plight, in your plight for explaining yourself, expressing yourself, telling you what you're doing, being able to sell your stuff, be able to make things easier for customers who want to get a hold of you. And a good website will do that. If you go to akinteractive.com slash full blast and fill out the paperwork, as a listener of the Full Blast podcast, you will get 10% off your order. So you can do a couple of things. You can just say to yourself, well, Jeff, I don't really need a website. And then no problem. But my website needs a little bit of cleaning up. If you fill out the paperwork at akinteractive.com slash full blast, Andreas Kalani can give you some uh, consulting advice. And that would be good too. Or if you want a new website, he'll get yourself that. Um, he also does graphic design work. He does logo redesign and he's doing great things. He's a maker who speaks your language. So if you want to get yourself out of the DMs in business, if you want to make sure that you're not having to go through email after email or DM after DM and you want to get yourself that buy it now on your website, go get yourself a new website with acaninteractive.com slash full blast, okay? I love this podcast because I get to speak to a lot of people. A lot of people maybe some of you haven't heard of, maybe some people that you have heard of. Some of the uh, the conversations are very informative. They're very, you know, um, you know, I'm interested in what people are doing, the relationship between, you know, some of the guests and the listeners. And then sometimes I get to fuck around and fool around with people that I like to talk to who are friends of mine. And this is one of those episodes. Brian House is a fascinating man. He lives down in Florida and he has this, 
amazing grinder company. He's also a content creator, and he has a great podcast that I listen to. It's called the Work For It Podcast on the Maker Network. Brian, how the fuck are you? Jeffrey, I am fan-fucking-tastic right now. You know why? Tell I'm me. Gonna, I'm going to give you, uh, all right, I'm going to give you the long and short of it. I don't know if you've noticed, but I've been moving my shop from one side of town to another part of town, and I have been taking basically my entire business, everything that I've done for the last three years, and consolidating it, and then also I went through a cleanse. Like, have you ever gone through, like, right. a purge of just, why do I own this? I've never touched this. Yes. Or I touched it, like, six months ago, maybe a year ago. I don't even know why I have this thing. The beautiful part about my new space, it's in an industrial area of uh, Fort Myers, Florida, which is on the west coast of Florida, about two hours, two and a half hours south of Tampa, to give you a reference point. And where I was before in Naples, I was in an industrial park, but it wasn't kind of this. It's not the same. Naples is more um, hospitality based. The town is does not really have true industry where this where I am now right. really does. And so, you know, around me are, you know, laser cutters and, and um, fab shops and, you know, all the, uh, the this neat uh, group of people who are doing similar things to what I'm doing. So there's a lot of that going on. But also, I have access to three huge dumpsters, and they get emptied four times a week, right? So I have been using my fork truck, my forklift, and I've been just hauling stuff that I've moved here. I probably should have just done this in Naples, but I didn't really have anywhere to throw it. And just throwing things away that just needed to be out of my life. And there's something so just absolutely energizing about that when you're able to just say, you know, look, I could probably use this five years down the road, but there's no reason for me to have this right now. I'm just gonna take it and I'm gonna throw it away. Um, and and be done with it. And I've just, for the last two weeks, that's what I've been doing, just cleansing and organizing and buying new shelving and bins and just putting everything where it needs to go. Still a long way to go before I can get fully operational. But it's an exciting time for me, man. It's just, it feels like I'm, like I'm putting on my big boy pants, you know? Like I feel like I'm truly doing it now. Whereas before I felt like I was kind of somewhere halfway. It sounds it because I follow you on, I listen to uh, the, the Workboard podcast and I do enjoy the trials and tribulations of, you know, how you sold your, your, your business and how, well, how you started in and then you were dealing with your business and also the content creation and then the grinder business and then your, your, the business that you just sold and moving in and the problems you're having with the fork truck. And I, I do appreciate that's one of the things about these pot, some of these podcasts where you get to follow along this episodical story of, of what's going on in your life. So it has been fun to listen to you kind of like find this new uh, situation. I think dumpsters are awesome. We we've gotten, my wife and I have bought about three dumpsters and every time we always say, over you know the past 16 years and we always think we'll never fill this up this is just no way and then all of a sudden it's just like we need three more it's never it's yes. like you you know you, you can never truly you you think you don't have enough shit when you clearly do yeah i think i think that's one of the things that i it clutter in my workshop or in my house clutters my mind you know there's that whole feng shui thing where you know, you're trying to do the best thing possible, you know, with 
keeping everything in your shop as clean as possible and functional as possible, but not having to run out to the hardware store every five minutes or, you know, trying right. to get supplies or whatever it might be. And the the issue that I've had over time is that I become somewhat of like a tool hoarder. Like I've got tools that are just old and outdated and I shouldn't even own them anymore. Like just things that just, you know, drills that have cords on them, you know, like who uses those anymore unless it's like a hammer drill or something really hardcore. Right. Um, There's no reason for it. So, you know, why do I have that? Okay, donate that. Get that to somebody that could possibly use it. That's just getting started. Uh, you know, things like that. I have buckets and bins of like screws and nails and bolts and, you know, nuts and whatever else that I will probably never use. So it's time right. for those to go. And, you know, once I started that process and I, it, man, every few years I go through this where I do this, like it's usually prompted by a move. Like I had to, you know, pick up and go somewhere else or move all my stuff. And I'm like, why am I moving this thing 50 times? I never use it. Uh, and then once it starts, like you have to kind of come, you have to have like a come to Jesus moment with yourself where you're like, look, I can't even move in here. Like I got to get, um, are you listening? Chris Zepp, Chris Zepp calling Chris Zepp. Uh, are you hearing what I'm saying? It's time to purge. No, I'm kidding. Um, he always jokes about Chris Zepp from the handmade podcast is always joking about how he's a tool hoarder and how he could barely move in his own shop. And, and Jimmy Duresta too, the same thing, you know, it's like you pick up all this stuff you're constantly moving you're constantly pulling it but then eventually it impedes progress you can't do anything anymore so yeah now is the time man and and just so just so we're on the same page jeff you have been following me for even before like way before when i was just getting started in this entire process of becoming somewhat of an internet industrialist is what i like to call it where I've, I've started to build my own tooling and a tooling company and industrial tooling and all of that. Whereas I'm, you know, sharing that journey. And, and I think that's the reason why that's a big part of my success is because I'm just saying and telling the story as I go. And, you know, I might add a little touch of the dramatic from time to time just to make it interesting. But, you know, fixing a fork truck you know, having a technician out here four times to fix a leaking hydraulic cylinder sounds pretty boring until you hear me tell the story. And that's, you know, the work for podcast is like, you know, this is, you get to know Skippy. I mean, Skippy, the fork truck guy, he's a pretty cool dude. I'd rather (laughs) not see him very often, like I have been, but you know, Hey, it's, it's all part of the journey, man. I'm well, it, it, the interesting thing is about, and I, and I know that, you know, obviously we'll probably get into content creation and stuff like that. The interesting thing is people's, people's direction in terms of why they're doing what they're doing. And it, it makes me think about people getting into podcasting or people getting into YouTube or business. And, and for me, I mean, it's interesting for me is I'm older than most of these guys. Um, I'm, you know, about to turn 48 and, you know, I, I wanted to start a business. I mean, when I, I started an Instagram before I started Fader Knives and I was using Instagram because out of spite, really, because I was, when I moved up to this town, I was involved, I was very, very disillusioned by the artist guild in this area. They were just a bunch of old, you know, I, I usually refer to them as old Parsons School of Design teachers who kind of never made it happen. And I was, you know, I was supposed to be the president of this organization. And I went to one meeting and I was just like, there's just no way. I relinquished my nomination and it was like, no thanks, this isn't for me. And I decided, and I was so disillusioned with galleries. 
I've been screwed by galleries. I, 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 real, I realized that gallerists are, you know, they're pimps and, you know, the artists are the whores. And it became very, very clear to me that, you know, in order to take things in my own two hands, I really kind of needed to embrace something. And I started to do Instagram. My, my, you know, Jeff Fader on Instagram, the early stuff is just art, you know, just the stuff in my, or the stuff in my shop or, you know, whatever. And then when I started to the knives, it really helped me out. And then, but the thing is, is I never really saw Instagram as, I'd never felt the need to be a, I never felt the need to be, um, like a teacher or I never felt the need to be an influencer. I never felt the need to be a content creator. I just thought it was like, you know, I get a message from someone say, Hey, I like that sculpture. Why is it for sale? So to me, Instagram and social media always was a tool of, of business. And what's interesting is, is I find that you have to, there's this like real give and take in between how we use social media and what the, what our direction is. Because, you know, if, my direction is fader knives, the business. And I really kind of like right now it's, it's, you know, this is the first, this is the show before Thanksgiving. So this is the, you know, we're in, you know, we're heavily into, if you're a small business or small maker or small, whatever, you're already getting slammed with orders or you're having to prepare for Christmas or you're having to like, or you've been through this before. So to me, it's the business to me comes first. The content creation is part of the marketing. And I just, I find it interesting because I feel like with you especially, you know, with the grinder business, which is just doing so great, and it's really awesome seeing what you're doing, you're also, social media and your content creation is intertwined because you got like 17,000 people on your DIY grinder page on Facebook, and you got the podcast, you're doing YouTube videos, and you're involved with the YouTube people and I just I'm interested in how you kind of intertwine the business of um house made industrials I'm not is that the name is that the new name of the company yeah yeah house made industrial yeah house made industrials and you know how content creation or or YouTube videos or podcasting uh helps your your business or is it are they interconnected or what are people's what what's your I've gone on and on. You understand what I'm saying. Yeah, I understand the question. Yeah, no, the reason why anybody does social media, I mean, I'm sure there's other reasons than mine, but um, mine was always to uh, cast a wide net. So when when I first started social media, it was very uh, apparent initially that you could cast this net out there and connect with all kinds of people, and you didn't really know who you were going to connect with. Uh, and it was for me, that was the exciting part was just, you know, who am I going to meet next? You know, who's going to connect with me and talk with me about whatever, you know, we're going to find commonality. And inside of that commonality is typically commerce, right? You know, you're out there, you know, peddling, whatever, whatever it is that you want to sell and your passion for your life or your business who who's going to see you if you don't get out there and start sharing your journey. And if you if you know anything about the origins of what I started doing was I, you know, I didn't start out as a grinder guy. I started out as a knife maker, YouTuber, kind of fixing stuff in my garage, just kind of working away and just making things happen and making content while I was doing it because I really love film and I really love making videos and sharing things with people. 
And I knew it's eventually something would hit and then I'd be able to kind of just go in that direction. The grinder project would come later and then that would become insanely successful. It would, it would, it would just basically take me and slingshot me into my own, uh, my ability to carry myself, uh, you know, 100% without any other source of income and then be able to buy a building and, you know, grow my business. And we're, you know, I, I always say we're just getting started, you know, that the begin. this is just the beginning. You know, if you really look at my journey, this, the first three years is really just a small blip in the, and on the radar. But my other goal for that is to also inspire others to do the same thing. I hear every single day, people who are in the day-to-day drudgery of their, you know, whatever it might be, um, their lives, you know, they don't like their jobs. They don't like working for someone else. They want to, you know, make a make a go of being a business owner. And and I try to as accurately as possible give the perception of really what um, rising up in America looks like because it's completely different now than it was, you know, a hundred years ago. Uh, I'm a huge proponent of, you know, sticking with something and moving forward and continuing and pushing forward. Um, there's a there's a saying in uh, in the Asian culture, those who rise before dawn 360 days a year will never fail to make their family rich. And that is true. And that's why my podcast is called Work For It. That's why I tout hard work. I, I you know, I'm, obviously there's got to be a balance in everything that we do. You don't want to just work 98% of your day and not, not take any, you know, don't do anything else. You have to balance that out. But if you want to rise up in America, you can. It's just be prepared because um, Casey Neistat says, said this a long time ago. He's like, I'm not the smartest guy in the room, but I'll outwork every single one of you. And that is the definition of the, the, the genesis of success, I think, is just accepting that. I think that that's excellent. And, I, and, and what I do appreciate about what you do is you are very positive towards, um, towards your, not only your listeners, but in general, you're a very positive force. You, um, which is always very inspiring. Part of me wonders if I, you know, with Knife Talk, we interact with so many people and so many listeners, and there's this incredible, I, I, feel, I feel as though that there's this sense, this sense, and I'm saying this with, you know, this is not an insult to the listeners, but there's a sense of entitlement in terms of people expect to be proficient quickly. Mm, And there's this, there's this, there's this very interesting sense of wanting to be at a certain level very, very quickly. And I find it almost to be, I, I, it's hard for me. It's hard for me to number one, uh, encourage the, you know, inspiration, but it's just part of me is always like, you kind of need to embrace the fact that you're going to suck for a while and it, it doesn't come easy. And I, I wonder if there's this, there's this sense when people see, you know, uh, successful people or people like you who are just like skyrocketing and the business is skyrocketing on the quick, quick side, you almost feel like there's this sense of well, what's wrong with me? Why am I not getting there? You know what I mean? I do know what you mean. And I always preface those uh, interactions with just remember that I've been an entrepreneur for 20 years and that this last three years was, um, you know, I brought all those things that I learned in the first 17 to the table. 
And so if you want to get good at something or you want to achieve or, you know, there is no such thing as get rich quick. It just does not exist. There's no easy money, no free lunches. You can, you know, all those sayings, all those, those things that your dad told us, you, you, you and, I'm, you know, my dad told me growing up, you know, there was just never, that, that's so true. Like, you're just not going to just one day wake up and be hugely successful or, you know, whatever. Behind all of that, um, I, there's like this motivational poster that's like an iceberg, and you can see the tip of the iceberg and then the waterline and then this huge, massive piece of ice underneath it. And at the tip of the iceberg, it's like what everybody sees, and that's the success. Right. You know, they see that little little piece that's uh, just above the surface of the water, and then below it there's this massive uh, body of ice that's kind of harboring the whole thing, and that's called hard work and determination. And that's where but, all of that goes. So people don't see that. And I'm trying to show that to people. Like, look, you, you have to understand, like, I sacrifice my health, my body, my time. Everything is put, being put into Housemade to grow it up so that, you know, someday, you know, I can retire or do whatever. But, you know, I truly love the work. So, you know, success isn't this, this you know, light a match and go. It's, it's years and years of smoldering, you know. I, you know what? I totally understand that. And I definitely believe, I definitely believe that most people don't realize what people have gone through in order to get where they get. You know, they see, you know, they see Will Stelter and he looks like he's 13 years old and all of a sudden he's naturally gifted or whatever. <laughs> right. And, you know, and I, and I, part of me says this a lot because we get, you know, once again, a knife talk, the question we get is I want to get into making Damascus. Um, I need to, should I get a press or a power hammer? And most of these, most of these guys get involved. They see, you know, they see what Mareko's doing or they see what Joshua Prince is doing, or they see, you know, these incredibly talented blacksmiths, bladesmiths make you, who have spent countless hours. People don't realize for some reason, I feel like there's almost this period of like, if you've just been on social media for three years, that means everyone's been on for three years. You know, there's almost like this, this um, these blinders to the amount of time and energy spent, you know, learning all this stuff. And what I what I hear from people is, and this is also goes to the fact that when I when, when I get asked to teach classes, I prefer to teach you know introductory blacksmithing classes because I feel like it's one of these lacking skills. And, and I just wonder if people have the people have encouraged have not encouraged them so that people have uh, allowed themselves to understand that you can just get these pieces of equipment and then next thing you know you're going to be Mareko Momasi and i i just wonder if there's like there's a lot of cart before the horse in this we're getting intense in the first no, 22 minutes no, but I, I think this it's is one of those things that thing i just notice I notice it too. I don't, I think it's just, it's not just in knife making, it's in everything. You know, there's, there's people that come to me and go, Hey, I want to be an entrepreneur. What does that look like? Um, you know, how do, how do I get to where you, you are? Or even better, they'll steal my work and then represent it as their own. And, um, and people come to me all the time and go, man, don't, doesn't this frustrate you? D doesn't this bother you when people are stealing your work and then, you know, f you know, trying to, to, to push it out as their own. And honestly, it does not. And the reason is, is because um, to build a company, it's more than just the product. 
and and the design and all of these things. There's there's all of this stuff that goes around building a good company. We talked about that in the last episode about service, customer service, and um, logistics, and money, and and time, and all this stuff. Ninety eight percent of people who go into business for themselves, they they don't really fully know what they're getting into, and then they, um, you know, they give up. You know, they just turn around and go the other direction. And I'm, I'm assuming it's the same way in knife making and every other endeavor that takes an enormous amount of time to create something or be great at something. What I will say is that I think that it's a good thing when people go, hey, I want to be successful at something because at least they're trying. You know, at least they're doing something. There's a lot of people right. just sitting at home on their phones and the computers and they're going to work, their day-to-day stuff. We need those people too. We need people going to work and, and doing that work. And, and the, the, that's a, the workforce is such an amazing, powerful thing that drives our economy. But you also need visionaries. You need people who are going to step up and say, I want to rise above the, the top. I want to be, um, be somebody of no, notoriety. I want to make money. I want to do those things. And I think, you know, in America, you can do that. You, you definitely can do that. It's just not easy. It's not easy anywhere. But, you know, um, for instance, the power hammer versus press thing. I think they think in their mind that the end all be all is the Damascus component of it. And you and I both know Damascus is beautiful and great, but it doesn't sell knives. What sells knives is, you know, marketing and design and fit and finish and all of the things you can do not making Damascus. You can do that with a single uh, monosteel. And then once you get good at those things, then you can go and start making Damascus. But you're right. The cart is definitely before the horse. You know, start making easy, small knives, monosteel knives, and then move into these more advanced techniques and start building that way. Actually, when I was talking about the, the, the press and power hammer, it was more along the lines of, you know, when I started blacksmithing, I wasn't allowed to touch a power hammer for the first like year and a half I was in the shop because I had to learn how to, you know, forge with a hammer on an anvil. And then you, once you learn those techniques and you kind of apply, imply, uh, you apply them to the use of a power hammer or press. And it's just this, there's this huge, there's this mindset. And I've talked to other, you know, I talked to other YouTubers who say, I get messages from people saying, if I had those tools, I could do what you're doing too. And there's this, there's more of a sense of the tools take away the work rather than the education and the technical ability. And I think that that is to me, to me, that's the cart before the horse. There's almost this sense of, and I know on Knife Talk we say things like, uh, you know, that's the dumb work or that's the easy stuff to do. Or I honestly believe that there's none of it is the easy stuff to do. You know, I think that I think that there's this in my in the way I work, especially here. And I don't do a whole lot of Damascus. I actually buy my mostly buy my Damascus. I've made a few bricks of Damascus, uh, built of Damascus, but honestly, to me, it doesn't interest me as much because I just want to become a. I still want to be a better knife maker, so I'm kind of stick, sticking with this stu- this simple stuff and the easy. St- when I say simple, I'm not trying to like gild the lily in what I'm doing. I'm trying to like really refine the the process that I'm doing, and then once I start to get more and more proficient, I'll then I'll start to add these things. But there's more of a sense of like I don't really need these techniques before. Oh, here's a good example. Here's a good example. So a number of years ago, when I was at the Center for Metal Arts in Florida. 
there was this uh, we were taking we were having classes. We had class, teachers from all over the country. We had Ori Hoffi's coming, Fred Christ, and we had all sorts of blacksmiths and stuff like that. And I just remember there were these guys who would come take the class, and then they would really not listen to the class. They did not listen to the teacher, and they just basically would say, "Oh no, I know, I know, I know. This is I'm going to do it this way." And we get to the point where we're just like, "Well, what did you come here for? If you know everything." Why did you even, why did you even come here? You know, and it was, there was this, there's this real, there's this strange sense with people that there is this under, you know, that you think that you know, but you don't. I don't know if that made a lot of sense. Oh, it happens all the time, even in my business. You know, um, we make grinder kits and every couple of days I get an email from somebody who's building my grinder who says, I'm going to build it like this because it's going to be better. And they'll really? give me, and, oh, yeah. And, you know, why did you do it this way? And, what, you know, why did you use this thing or whatever? And, and I will be very forward and, and write them back and explain, you know, the, the process that it takes to, to build this machine and the reason why. But it's like that, that uh, sort of, for a lack of better term, like an ego thing. Like, well, I think this is going to be better. Well, okay, good. You should try that. And when, um, if it's better, great. Let me know. Like, I'd love to hear about it. Like, if, that's, if that really makes the machine better. I already know it won't because I've tried it, you know, because I always thought, like, well, hey, I can do this. Again, I'll go back to the positive end of this and say, well, you know, at least they're trying something. I will say, though, somebody's standing in a classroom and I'm the teacher and they're not listening to me and they've paid to be there. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's like an age thing. You know, the older you get, the kind of more um, the, you stuff your ego into your pocket and you realize how little you actually know. I don't know if you've kind of had that feeling at all as you get older, but it's like, I don't know shit. I have, I have really I, so much to, to learn about the world still. I, I grew up, my father used to say to my sisters and I, you don't know what you're talking about. So we, we've always, we've always <laughs> been like, you know, that was actually, we're, we're going to do a, we're, my sisters and I are, my sisters are both sculptors and painters and we're actually going to do a group show, the three of us, and we're going to call that, the, the original name for the first show is going to be, you don't know what you're talking about, which is, oh my God, that's you know, great. A, an ode to our father who was a painter. But I, I wonder when I think about what you're, you're doing with the Grinder Company and the, with the content creation and the YouTube channel and stuff like that. And the, the 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 DIY grinder Facebook page, I can't. I get really like it gets me anxious. Yeah, there's because some shit I feel on like yeah. it's. I don't know. I honestly don't know. I because I know that you get criticism on that, and and I'm not saying. I'm saying it in the sense of like, like you were just saying that somebody's building your grinder kit, and then they're sending you an email on why they're going to build it differently. How do you deal with the criticism? Because I mean, that's what that is. It's like, how do you deal with it and not just be like, I don't. What do I need this for in my life? It's my business, and um, it puts food on my table. And I, you know, I I look at it a little bit. I, a younger a younger version of Brian would be given the middle finger to all those people. Um, I, I would I would say now that I'm older, I take what they're saying and and with uh, you know I process it. You know, instead of I look at looking at it like a negative, I take it and go, well, maybe there's a point there. Maybe they do have a point because there's there's in fact in Gen four, there's multiple changes that from Gen three to Gen four that were customer suggestions, and hmm. that part of it is just absolutely priceless, right? Because you know, 
they they're looking at it from a with a completely different set of eyes and they don't want anything in return you know in the little readme file that i put out every time i make a revision um i always give them credit and you know huh. like hey you know this was a suggestion from and you know we we made that modification and ultimately that led uh me to believe fully in collaboration even when it's not with people that i know you know um some of the ideas are just completely off the cuff, and I would never um, even consider them. I do read them. Um, some of them I have tried because they seem very obvious, like it, it would make sense to do it that way. But then when you actually try it in practice, it doesn't work um, or it doesn't work as well, I'll say. Um, and, and you're right. I get tons of criticism in my own Facebook forum. And people criticize the way I market my, my stuff and, um, you know, some of the, the design choices that I've made over time and whatever else. Uh, the good news is, is I have such a solid community of people who back me up. So I don't even have to back myself up. You know, a majority of the criticism comes from people who are absolutely 100 percent outside of the project. They didn't build the machine, so they don't really have... Um, you know, they can't really say, you know, it's, it's like, it's like when somebody gives you financial advice, standing in the line at a grocery store, you should look at that person and go, why should I listen to that person? Why, you know, this person's telling me I should invest in whatever. Um, but you know, you are a used car salesman for 50 years. Why should I listen to you? Um, that's the, in my head, that's what I always am processing. Now I will say all the time I get people who go, I was a machinist for 30 years. This is the beginning of like 90% of the criticisms. I was a machinist right. for 30 years, and this is the reason why your design won't work. And then my response is, tell the thousands of people who have built it successfully all over the world that their machines don't work. It's just wrong. You don't know. You're not, but, you know, maybe it's not the way you would have done it, but this is a machine that you can build in a mud hut in Iraq or in a machine shop. And it'll function just the same, and I think that's the reason of the of the success of the project. That is not that is incredible, but that's not my question. My question is, how do you deal with the the inner strife of having to respond to these people, and then after you push push send, how do you compartmentalize? Well, how long is it going to take for him to respond, and then am I bracing myself for his response? Because in my mind. In my mind, I cannot, I don't like, I don't like the feeling of, I, you, I was never a put-down artist. My father used to fucking get me every time. And when we, would, when we would argue, he would just wrap me up. And he'd wrap me up, and then he'd make fun. When I was younger, I had a stutter, so he'd make fun of the stutter. And then when, you know, it just like, it was like I was a fucking wreck. I was never a good put-down artist. I was never able to, I always thought, all right, I'm going to get him now. Even when I was in school, I could never, you know, I was, and it got me to the point where I, f I was better off being a diplomat or being someone who was low or like in my mind, I'm thinking to myself, don't give it, you know, don't, it's a spark. Don't give it any air. Don't yes. if you give it. No, if you don't give it any air, it doesn't turn into fire. So like, I don't, I, I, I disengage. I disengage. I can't handle the back and a couple of years ago, we got knife talk got involved with some, one of these you know, Pakistan, uh, or these, one of these, you know, one of these Pakistani knife companies. And they were like, I decided to, as a bit, we would kind of go back and forth with these people. And they were like, and it turned into 
a day of intense uh, anxiety for me. It turned into like I was overwhelmed and gripped by the thought of dealing with this person that didn't even have to deal with. So what I wonder is, is do you ever like think about these responses from these people who most likely anybody who says I was a, I was a whatchamacallit for a machinist for 30 years. You know that this is some horse shit right off the bat. You know that this is like the beginning stages of I'm going to try to like, you know, bend you to my will based on, you know, like a fictitious or, you know, a questionable, you know, idea. But I mean, how do you deal with the strife of having to deal with these people? Uh, I don't see the strife, I guess. I mean, you know, the, for me, I've often just stepped away. I, you know, um, there's that Mark Twain saying where you should never argue with an idiot. They will drag you down to their level and beat you with experience. Um, it's the (laughs) truth. You can't argue with, you know, a couple of things is a lot of them are disingenuous. You know, they're just, they're just trying to, they're trolls. You know, they're trying to get me riled up. Uh, for instance, I did the knife challenge uh, that's been widely successful on YouTube, and I, I, uh, with Dennis Terrell and Aaron Lee and all, all, all these great YouTubers got together, and we did this challenge where we make knives. And, um, you know, the, the, the parameters are really sort of open. You just have to make a knife that's, like, in this uh, particular style. And so right. what it does is it affords everyone to be able to be really super creative. And it's a challenge because there's voting. You know, there's you can go in and vote and people win and there's money involved and whatever else. But, uh, you know, most of us don't do it for that. They, we do it because of the camaraderie, you know, like getting to know each other right. and talk about, you know, the, our different things. Well, boy, I'll tell you, you know. I have a plasma cutter, so I, cu- I do all my design work in Fusion, so I take a completely different approach. You know, I do all this stuff, and I caught so much shit for, you know, the way that I did things uh, because I didn't, you know, make Snowflake Damascus or, or whatever. Right. Um, and uh, But, ne- you know, three years ago, that would have really bothered me. Now I just I kind of find it funny, man. I just, you know, even in the even with the business end of things, the Revolution Project has been so successful, it's become a it's become like sort of part of my identity but i like literally could step away from it and it would run itself it would just you know it the design has been proven you know and so i can't really hear i can't hear those criticisms and unless it's like a positive design change that makes the machine easier to build or easier to use i just ignore it and then or i respond with hey thanks for your input totally appreciate it kind of just like a dismiss you know a positive dismissal of of the of the concept and i think if you take that same idea and you uh, put it put that same concept to work in just about 95 percent of everything you do your life gets tremendously easier it just does i've just i've learned that it's like i'm i i also say this all the time to my kids a majority of the time when they're telling me about some bullshit drama at school because i've got two high schoolers now and one middle schooler and I'll say, think of the situation that you're going to be in or you are in as a dance floor. So somebody is on the dance floor and they are waving to you to come in and dance with them. And dance can be a euphemism for whatever. It could be an argument or whatever conversation. You have the choice to get you have the choice to watch walk out there and dance. And if you say yes, then you have just accepted that agreement to now be dancing with these people. 
Otherwise, you can say no, and you can be a wallflower, or you can just leave the dance hall altogether. And that's, I think that's just been something that if I, I put into practice, my life just got extremely easy. Like everything just came easy to me. You're far more well-adjusted than I am. <laughs> I can't, I, 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 find, I find it all to be, I find, you know, I find criticism, I find criticism um, un, unwelcomed or unsolicited uh, non-constructive criticism, I find it to be very aggressive. And a lot of times I take it that way. And a lot of it has to do with my upbringing. You know, I, like I've said it before, you know, my father was very critical and very judgmental of the things that my sisters and I were doing. And it became very much along the lines of, you know, being judged for something, something, you know, or being criticized. Uh, you know, you say the sky's blue, the sky, you don't know what you're talking about. The sky's not blue. You know, it, everything was very much along the lines of, and, and I got to the point where going to, you know, doing critiques in art school and, 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 and taking criticism was, I had to learn how to do it. But at the same time, it was like, you know, I was under the, under the guise, uh, I was under the guise of, I know that this is what I'm supposed to be doing right now in order to get better. I can take the criticism. Now, the criticism, any criticism that I get that isn't really like solicited, and I don't really, I mean, I know a lot of you guys on Instagram like to do the, what do you think? I, I, everybody who writes the what do you think on, on the bottom of the, their their caption, in my mind, I think, okay, this is good for engagement. This is really good for them to do the, this is good for them in regards to getting some reaction to, you know, whatever they're doing. In my mind, I'm thinking, I don't want to know what you think. I honestly, it's like, and it, and I, I'm sorry to say it, but it is totally true. It's like, you know, Mareko does it all the time. He's like, wouldn't you like this in your house? What do you think? And I'm just like, I don't know why you're opening your up, yourself up to this because, you know, and then all of a sudden some knucklehead gets in there and says something and I know it bothers him because it bothers me too. And I just, I can't handle, I don't, I don't do well with the rabble, to be honest with you. If you really want to, if you really want to know what it is, I mean, Yeah. Have you ever read the book uh, The Four Agreements by Don Miguel Ruiz? Do you know familiar I think with you mentioned this to me. Yeah. I think you mentioned this or I mentioned on their podcast. What is this yeah. book about? It's a, it's a short read, or I prefer the uh, audio book. Um, and it's um, it was narrated or audio read by um, Don uh, Don Coyote. And um, or not Don Coyote. Uh, anyway, last name is Coyote. He was an actor. Anyway, a Native American guy. And um, so there's four agreements. Uh, number one is be impeccable with your word. So if you say you're going to do something, make sure you do it. And if you don't think you can, you're going to be able to do it, don't say it. You know, don't, don't tell somebody you're going to do something and then not follow through. The second one is don't take anything personally. And that is a big one, especially with criticism. If, if you take things personally, um, assuming that, you know, people are doing and saying things to you, not around you. Um, it's projection, really, you know, and he explains this in great detail. And then the third one is don't make assumptions, like never assume anything. So if you ever hear me in a conversation with someone or if, especially with dealing with business, I am extremely annoyingly specific with everything. And it's because I don't want to make any assumptions. Um, you know, I want to know exactly what I'm getting for how much money I'm spending or how much money you're going to give me. This is exactly what you're getting in return. No assumptions, no gray area. It is just that way. And the last one is always do your best. 
your best is important. And also it's under, it's important to understand that your best at 9 a.m. is different than your best, best at 7 p.m. So your best at 9 a.m. is going to be go-getter. You're full of caffeine. You're running. You're doing your thing. By 7 o'clock, you can still do your best. It's just not going to be the same equivalent as 9 a.m. If you take those four agreements and you make them part of your daily routine, your life gets better. I mean, it just does. And, you know, um, I, I suggest you read the book or listen to the book. I know you listen to a lot of podcasts. I'll send you the book. I have it, and um, I'll, I'll send it to you so you can listen to it. It's really super easy. I listen to it once a year just to kind of refresh myself. But as soon as I heard or uh, read that book, my life got better because I just stopped taking things personally. It's like when these people get on a road rage incident and, you know, somebody cut them off and they're so angry and they're brake checking and they're doing this stuff. You just let somebody that you don't know that doesn't matter affect you emotionally and you shouldn't. You shouldn't. You should just let them go on by and just, uh, you mm. know, let them let them do their thing. So. But uh, and and you're see, Jeff. Uh, let me let me just back up for a second and just quickly talk about uh, something. Some of my favorite things about you as uh, as a creator, because um, th- these are things that I would love to tell you about, and so that you understand is that um, how I see your work is very precise and very experimental, and I really like how you apply uh, great design and color like you would in a sculpture, but you add that to your functional artwork, which is your knife work. And from somebody who studied sculpture, in fact, it was my minor in college at NIU, I studied sculpture uh, for four years. Um, I appreciate that because, um, you know, that form over function thing, uh, you know, there, it's just so hard to achieve. And I feel like with your work, it's it's something I can definitely tell there's a progression. You're, you are, always looking to improve your work and doing it not just from a functionality standpoint but from uh, an aesthetic standpoint as well so i just really want you to know how much i appreciate that well that's very kind of you brian i know you hate talking about yourself but i you know no it's fine i mean i think that you know we're going back to what i was originally saying in terms of direction i feel like i feel like um i feel like my intentions for everything i've done have come from a place of sincerity. And, you know, the get the in now I'm getting to the point where I'm seeing well the past couple of years I've been seeing the knives being very, very, very close to what the sculpture was, what the sculptures that I was doing were. I, see I, I, I almost now yeah. I'm to the point now the the contrast between steel and a different material, the colors, the shapes, the lines, I don't really see a giant difference between them from a visual standpoint. So with that said, I, you know, I, I feel, it, you know, I like to show, I'd say this a lot is I show your receipts in terms of where things come from, especially in content creation, you know, um, for me, just getting, getting kind of into regards to podcasting for one thing, we talk about content creation, like podcasting for me has been important for a long time because, when I was a kid, I was referred to as a latchkey kid. I grew up in the 70s and the 80s. My parents were divorced. Both my parents worked. I was home a lot, alone. I was My sisters were half-sisters, and they were already out of the house by the time I was really young. But I was alone a lot, and I listened to the radio. And the radio was something that was 
my companion. And, and I, I needed to hear a voice laughing. I needed to hear a voice. I didn't have a television in my room. I didn't really, I was, or I was doing my homework. I was just, I wanted to be kept company without having to concentrate on something. Like, well, I didn't want to watch TV. I wanted to, you know, I needed the radio to listen to Scott Shannon or, or Casey Kasem or Howard Stern or Don Imus or, you know, anybody. I listened to sports radio and I felt like I was being kept company. So for and then once I got into my first studio after after graduating college, I'd see my girlfriend, who's now my wife, at seven o'clock in the morning, and I wouldn't see another person until you know six o'clock that night. And I'd listen to Howard Stern, I'd listen to Brian Laird, Leonard Lopate. I listened to the, you know I had a whole schedule of listening to people keep me company, and I always wanted that was a huge part of my upbringing in terms of the concept of what a podcast is. And it's not just about teaching someone, but it's about keeping people company and keeping their minds occupied. So everything to me has always been, I've tried to make everything a logical progression. And I've always tried to like just one step in front of the next and then have a, you know, some sort of cohesive connection. So with that said, I appreciate what you had to say. I wanted to kind of get back. I mean, if you wanted to you know, add to that or anything like that, I completely understand. I do want to ask you a question in regards to how, um, how well adjusted you are. I feel as though your battle with cancer must have had an interaction with your perception of the, the, the uh, fragility of life and the, the concentrating your direction forward. Am I wrong? Yeah, I've always had, yeah, no, no, you're not wrong. Um, I've always had a penchant for risk. I, I, um, I'm fiscally conservative. I've always been um, the guy that saves more than he spends, um, does all that. Uh, but cancer changed a lot of that for me. Um, it also was an um, impetus for my divorce. I was married uh, to my first wife for 14 years. Um, cancer sort of sent me into a tailspin. I did a lot of stupid things and made a lot of stupid choices. And, you know, it just, it really, it pushed me uh, to the point where I, you know, I was always asking myself, you know, um, uh, you know, am I doing this right? <laughs> you know, like a lot of things, am right. I, am I making sense, uh, with this time that I have on earth? And the answer w- was overwhelmingly no. Um, and so, you know, major changes came from that. And, um, you know, the, they were all, for the most part, all ended up very positive changes for me, you know? Yeah. Um, and so, uh, I, I just think that when you stare at your own mortality, you, there's just the, you're going to walk away a different person, you know? And especially well, at so the time th- of my life, it was like, I was in my, um, I was mid thirties. You know, so like just before midlife, I I hit this like, holy shit, I could be dead in five years or whatever. Um, You know, so, yeah, the cancer I had was the same cancer that killed Bob Marley at 36 and I got it at 35. So it was. What was it? Melanoma? Melanoma. And I had um, I had eight lesions all over my body. Luckily, none of them had metastasized or moved. Um, they reconstructed my right ear. I have a huge chunk out of my back and three big chunks out of my leg and uh, butt uh, off, off my ass. And, you know, every single time I would go through that, it was like another surgery, I would, you know, more recovery. And, you know, uh, people don't take skin cancer that seriously. I know you do because you talk about it a lot because you obviously know what it can do to somebody. 
But um, well, that's me- what my dad. My dad died of melanoma. It was from yeah. skin cancer. Yes, and see, melanoma is the um, it's the widow maker. So you, you, if you don't catch it in time, uh, and it moves, it's not if, it's when. It, you're dead. You, no one comes back from it. There's there's a very very small amount of people that actually recover from metastasized melanoma, and that's because it travels typically to the lung, the liver, or the brain. Uh, and yeah, uh, exactly so, what happened. Yeah, so I know a lot about it, and um, and and you know when you look at you know you know cancer as a whole, you know melanoma, the treatment for it's relatively simple. I mean, they cut you open, they t- they pull it off you, and and whatever, and um, you know you do a, a light treatment, and then you're done. But when you go through that eight times, you feel like you've been beaten to death, you know, by these drugs and the surgeries and the cutting up and all of that, um, you know, I came out definitely a different person. A lot of scars, but a lot of positive too, man. I don't think I'd be sitting here talking to you right now, to be honest, if, if, I, if I didn't have that happen to me. I'd See, probably just be I'm just convinced, the same guy. I'm convinced that it is, I think that even if you don't, even if you don't consciously know it, it must have helped you in terms of focusing your direction in a um very very concentrated i say concentrated but i mean like you 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 kind of get an idea of what you need to be doing like you're you're very positive you're very positive and i can only imagine it's as if you know you unconsciously know you have a second lease on life life i mean my father had melanoma he had skin cancer his whole my mother had my mother's side of the family had skin cancer and then my dad had skin cancer he just he never wore sunscreen and um, it, he had the cancer. They removed it. He was in remission. And then I think four or five years later, it went to his, it went to his lymph nodes and then to his brain. And it was really very, it was very, I mean, he was much older anyway. I mean, he was in his eighties by the time that happened, but at the same time it was like, and then my sister, my sister had ovarian cancer in the seventies and, and survived, which is like, you want to talk about crazy. Yeah, like I'm going to actually see her then. for Thanksgiving. Oh, dude, I'm going to yeah. see her for Thanksgiving, and it's like every time I see her, it's always like this. I just can't believe you're alive. I mean, it's just crazy. It's just totally crazy. So I can only imagine that it has invigorated you in terms of your direction. And I now that I think about it, I can see why you wouldn't give a shit what a you know, guy with 30 years of you know, machinist, you know, <laughs> machinist experience has to tell you on a Facebook post. You have to not a give a shit. I mean, r- really, right. you, you literally have to stop giving a shit. And you have to care about what people think, but you have to care only about what the right people think, you know. Uh, and so that, yeah, definitely. I was always that, that person, by the way. I've never cared what people think, usually. That's, that's a, a trait that's been communicated to me multiple times by people in all different areas of my life. They just, they, they comment on that a lot. Like, hmm. you just don't really care about what people think. And um, they're, tr- they're right, but I do, you know, I, I still behave in a way where, you know, I'm not out, you know, burning down buildings or whatever, but I care about being a civilized human being. But typically opinions don't, uh, you know, they're like assholes. Everyone has one, you know, you just like, look, right. you're, you're going to have an opinion of me. That's fine. The other part of my life, I think, and this is something else that a lot of people might need to hear is there are going to be people that just simply do not like you. 
and there, right. there'll be no reason for it. It is just that they do not like you, and you will never, ever, ever change that opinion. So don't try and don't change. Just be yourself. Like, just do your thing because eventually you're going to find a whole crew of people who really do like you and what you're up to and believe in you and want to support your work and support what you do as a human being, and that will far outweigh the people who just you know they're you know they're they're grumbly you know they're they're gonna they're pro- you're probably on a long list of people they don't like, so just take that and tie it to a red balloon and send it off into the atmosphere and just continue doing what you're doing, you know f- focus on the true meaningful things in your life, family and meaningful work. I think that's super hmm. important to being well balanced is having meaningful work, which is the reason why I love being a part of this community. It's because all the people around me are doing that meaningful stuff. They're trying at least, you know, Um, and you're one of them because I hear you talking on the podcast, all the podcasts that you're on. Your theme has always been I work, work is first. I put that first and that's the most important thing other than my family. I do that work. Everything else is a bonus. Everything else. And, And because you are doing meaningful work and you're dedicated to it. Look at you. Look at you. What a guy. What a mensch. What a mensch. I, 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 I can tell, I can tell that when I hear you talk on your podcast about the WFI project, if you hashtag WFI, he re, you, you and Brian and Ben read off all the projects that are, are you know, you're, if you explain what WFI is to, to the, to the listeners. So if you if you listen to the Work For It podcast, WFI stands for Work For It, obviously. And then if you're on Instagram and you hashtag WFI projects, we pull that up every show and we look at those projects that you're working on and we will pull a handful of them out and we talk about them. Um, what that has done is it has leveled the playing field. Anybody can get their work presented in front of us. Not that we're like, you know, up on a pedestal or anything. But we are a great conduit for feedback and, uh, you know, and positivity and trying to, like, you know, help move people forward with what they're doing. And so, like, if we call you out and talk about your project, typically you're going to get 25 to 50 followers. You know, people are going to check you out and and you're going to start connecting with people, which is the whole point of social media is that you're supposed to interconnect. Not just a one-way conversation, but it's it's a two-way thing. And that actually was a concept that was brought up by Brian Cohn. Uh, he's a new addition to the uh, the podcast and a young guy. Uh, when um, Ben and I were doing it together, there was an obvious, there was a missing component. You know, we wanted to, you know, have this whole wooden steel playoff thing. Ben's a woodworker. I'm a steel guy. I'm doing my thing. Entrepreneur different level but we needed some help we needed like a younger voice we need somebody to come in and brian cone who i had done a few live uh, instagram live streams with and stuff and just had you know normal conversations talked with him on the phone he's just such a great guy like he's a perfect representation of what a young entrepreneur is somebody has very little startup capital a lot of drive a lot of grit a lot of creativity and is willing to put himself out there. What better person to put on our podcast, somebody that doesn't have a ton of followers, who is wanting to rise up in the community and, you know, educate people. He's funny, he's easy to talk to. And, you know, it's like, 
let's let's make an example of Brian. Let's let's say if you follow the same path that Brian is following, you could do the same things he's now doing. You know, we're watching his progression. I think that's an enormous learning tool for others is example to see like, look, there's all these young guys you, you were talking about them before. These guys that want to get into knife making, they want to start making Damascus tomorrow. They want to start, you know, being a Mareko Mamasi. And you have to see that it takes some time. What better way to do that than put somebody like Brian Cohn on the show? And he not only does all that stuff, but he adds like tons of character. He plays the trombone even. Yeah. And and he brought he brought WFI projects to the table. And I thought it was an excellent idea, so we implemented it. And now there's like over a thousand tags that are you know, people have tagged it over a thousand times. So it's pretty amazing. He's he's an excellent addition. He's he's good on the mic. He's got good stories. I do like the trombone bit. I mean, whatever you think about dad jokes, I love the fact that you guys actually have a bit where somebody's actually playing a trombone. I think that's awesome. <laughs> It's not a sound effect. Um, I, what either. I do, it's I know, trombone. I know. I, 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 I like the fact that he's like, "Oh, let me give it the goddamn trombone," and he gets out the trombone. I, I like that foley work and all that stuff. I, I dig all that. I do like the fact at how I can tell how the community really makes a big influence on your on you. Like I can tell that how excited you are when people are involved. And I, it really is something that's very uh, sincere. I, I get this sincere feeling from you of just being very happy with any, you know, connection with the community. And I, yes. I do appreciate that. Yeah, it's super important because without the community, you know, you, you could podcast to 10 people and, hey, that's cool, too. Um, you know, our show is downloaded on average about 500 times, you know, which is still considered small, I would think, for a podcasting uh, thing. But it's, it, you know, we do it consistently every single week yeah. we put out a show. And you have talked about this as well on um, multiple platforms about uh, if you, you know, you make a podcast, but you don't release it on a regular time and date. Uh, you're, you know, you're behind the eight ball. It's just like with anything uh, co content related, you need to be consistent. And podcasting is so simple. You know, uh, it, it's like set up a microphone, talk, uh, you know, have somewhat of a loose theme and then go for it. You know, tell a story or, you know, walk some people through and, and kind of have a loose format. Um, for me, it's so such a simple but yet m amazingly powerful platform where I get way more interaction from people uh, through the podcasting platform than I do, you know, meaningful interaction, I will say, right. um, than I do in any other way. So it's it's been an amazing journey. And I can um, give you and Craig Lockwood uh, a big high five because you brought me in to the makery when it was first started. And that's what slingshotted my podcasting career. It would have taken me a lot longer, I think, if I would have just decided to do it on my own, which I probably never would have. but. That was a you say a cool it's thing. good. You say it's you say that it's easy, but it isn't easy. Uh, I mean, you happen to be good on the mic. I mean, you're you. I mean, you have that. Yeah. You have the voice that you have the voice that a lot of people dream of if they're a broadcaster. I mean, you have the perfect broadcasting voice, and you're good, and you're interesting, and you're you know you're a fun guy, and you, you know you, you you do a great job. It it brings me to a point that I actually was thinking about in terms of the idea behind the difference between podcasting and YouTubing, YouTubing, and the direction that people take in regards to the two. 
I have been asked to, to do YouTube. I have no interest. I have zero interest for a lot of reasons. And one of the reasons is because I know how much work it is. I know it's not just, I mean, with this, we turn the mic, we, for some reason people think Craig is editing this. He's sticking things in the beginning and he sticks things in the end. He's supposed to be editing knife talk. Sometimes he does He just sticks things in the beginning and then the end. I mean, we don't, a lot of times if you can not have to edit, it's much easier. I know some guys have to edit and it's like, why would you want to have to do that? Go through it a hundred times. Like I know Toby from uh, Toby uh, Knife and Steel or Toby Fire and Steel who is doing a great podcast. He got to edit all the time. He, got to edit, he said he had to edit one podcast. Like for, it took him nine hours. Fuck that. I don't know who wants to do that. And for to do these YouTube videos because it's so shot. I still in my mind, and I, I just the fact that you went to a, a, a film school or you have an interest in film, I can see why it would be interesting to you because you understand the the mathematical alg- the mathematical equation of what makes a you know what makes a good you know whatever twenty minute thirty minute video versus you know a podcast where it's like you know you don't have to really you don't really I mean you got to practice if you don't want to do any editing but what's interesting is is both of them are very similar but they're so different. When you're when you're doing YouTube videos or want to do YouTube videos, what you're you're doing is you're commanding people to focus on what you're doing, not only your ears but your eyes for however long your video is. Versus a podcast, I mean, you drive. When people want to listen to podcasts while they're driving or when they're working, or I was you uh, listening to a podcast while I was gluing stuff up, or there, it's a much more passive thing. It's much more of a, of a, it's much more of a passive thing that people are able to have their mind occupied. What's interesting to me is, is when people think to themselves, they see what Alex, Alex Steele is doing or Jimmy Duress is doing or what Honor's doing right now. He's taking off like a rocket of dies in every film. They see it and they think I can do this too. And then they don't realize not only the amount of work it is, but the fact that you do have to be consistent. And you do have to have a degree of discipline. And you do have to be interesting. And some of them that you think are going to be good, maybe they don't get the views that you expect them to be getting. And it's just, I mean, I don't know how, i to be honest with you, I don't know how you do it. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea innovation, and partnership. We're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Well, it can, it can be extremely frustrating because you're creating content and, you know, look at Brian Cohn, you know, he spend he hires a cinematographer, a guy, a videographer to come and and uh, film his work and edit it. He pays for that. Uh, and and then, you know, he'll upload a video. And because he's just getting started on YouTube, you know, maybe he'll get 100 or 300 views. You know, somebody like um, uh, Honor Keglar uh, or Jimmy Duresta, you know, they'll get like, uh, you know, 50,000 views in the first seven minutes or whatever. You know, the, the, the reach on YouTube once you have hit that consistency and that algorithm is insane. Like if you know, yeah. if you can get there, the return on that investment of time is, is huge. 
I, I will it? say, uh, yeah. I mean, you know, well, for, for me, for pers- to, to give you some perspective, for me, my niche is grinders and, you know, metalwork or whatever. Um, and I make content around that. And I'm going to be doing other content other than that um, very soon once this new studio is all set up. Um, but, you know, to, to take that and focus it like I do. So, like, on average, when I release a YouTube video, in the first week, it probably gets, like, ten to 20,000 views. But those ten to 20,000 people who are watching that are my niche market. They're people who are possibly going to buy or build a grinder or, you know, maybe spend some money with me or whatever it is. Uh, from a business perspective, how do you get in a room with 20,000 people um, that are potential customers in, in a matter of, let's say, uh, taking a day or two to create the, the content? The ad revenue is minimal. You're not going to make a ton unless you're a big YouTuber, Jimmy Duresta, you know, these guys, they're, you know, million subscribers plus. Then you're living off of that revenue. But you're also feeding the, the beast constantly to keep that revenue flowing. It is, it is a, um, and a lot of YouTubers talk about this, where it becomes exhausting. You know, they, they just can't keep up with the rigorous schedule that it takes. The, here's, my, here's how I'll sell it. If you can come up with something where you can create a, a brand or a product and you can leverage podcasting, YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, and you can grab your niche market and you can create this sort of little galaxy around the things that you're doing, um, you can make a great living at this. And it is something that's very that you could do. If you're looking to become the next, uh, you know, Wrangler star or, or Jimmy Dress or whatever, you know, that's a long way off probably. You know, you're, if ever, if you ever get there. Um, that's betting on a lot. Uh, you know, it's a long race. So the, the path that I took was from an entrepreneurial standpoint where I looked at it and went, people are watching this. They like what I'm doing. The mechanical engineering, the CAD, the, the grinders, the sparks, the fire, they like this. How can I monetize this and turn this into a business? And ultimately, that's what led me down to the path of creating the plan set and creating the grinder because I loved the concepts so much, I basically formed my business around it. Little did I know that it would take me, even at, uh, I would say, I hardly have any influence, really, if you, if you, you know, compare me to other uh, social media people. I have very little influence. But it has given me an amazing living. And I do, every day I wake up, and I do the things I love to do. But did it happen overnight? No. It it took a lot of money and risk and time and effort to get where I am and a lot of business know-how and a lot of coordination to make it all happen. Can you do it as a person? I don't know. I don't know the answer. Only you know that answer. And and that's that's the, the, the thing about content creation. You have to go into it knowing that... Just like anything else, you're throwing money down on a horse, and you don't know. You don't know where that race is going to finish. So, um, yeah, I mean, but that's it's, kind but of it's really it, it's really more about the fact that you have to want to do it because you want to do it, and then hopefully the money comes. Well, that because should be everything, I feel right? like. I mean, it shouldn't well, it be that course. everything you do should be that you want to do it, and and you know you you know we have that choice. You know, you when you started knife making. You saw it as a means to generate income, I assume, right? You were a sculptor, and you liked the work, 
and you thought, if I do this, if I make knives, there's money here. And it's also very similar to the work that I enjoy doing, which is sculpture. So you combined those two things and you made a living at it. And you also work for yourself. So, you know, I think it's the same path. I mean, you and I are kind of on the same path. You're doing the same things. You're applying the same methods, I would say. But people's, people's reasoning behind going into being, becoming YouTubers or being podcasters isn't as pure as that. A lot of it is, well, I think this is what I'm supposed to be doing. Or I was on a podcast. I want to do it again. Or I heard what they're doing, and I think I can do that too. And then, I mean, I hear a lot of that. I mean, I get people up the wazoo asking me to listen to their podcast or come on their podcast. And, 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 and then I always usually think, well, well, let's see what happens in a year. Like, I want to see, I want to see consistency. Like, when, I want to see people being consistent. Like, that's why I, I like listening to your podcast because I know that every Thursday, usually Thursday mornings, I, turn on, I, I wake up and I'm like, there's, I'm, I'm preparing stuff and I'm checking. I, usually I know that you guys are on, on Thursdays. Yeah. And I know that. And, and that's one of the reasons why I, you know, one of the reasons why I like the fact that you're, you guys are sticking to it. I mean, there's a lot of guys who, they, they come and they, they think, oh, I should be starting a podcast. And then, you know, and then, I've, and then it's, it's, well, I just don't want to, I don't feel like it now. Or I don't, and they don't have the commitment or the discipline to do it. And I, sometimes I feel like the same thing with, with YouTube or people starting in YouTube. I feel like there's this, and I don't watch a lot of YouTube. I watch my friend's stuff or, you know, once in a while. I, 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 I t I'll be honest with you, I, I just, for some reason, sitting down and watching YouTube videos, it's hard for me to do. I, I just, I don't really, I don't sit down and watch really anything. I, I, the only thing I've been seeing lately is I saw Dune. I saw Shang-Chi, which I fucking loved. I saw Dune, which I loved. And that's about it. And I watched a little Curb Your Enthusiasm, and that's really about it. I mean, I really don't have a lot of time to sit down and watch YouTube videos. Yeah. But I know that there's this sense of, like, you almost feel like, especially with young YouTubers or people who are just starting in there, they feel like this. I'm planting the flag for victory and then pressing send or upload. And then it's like holding your hands out waiting for the money to fall out of the sky. You know, I feel like there's yeah. this sense of, well, once again, back to entitlement and not really understanding the fact that you just have to love it for the sake of loving it. And then yeah, hopefully if you don't something have passion, happens. If you don't have passion for whatever it is you're pursuing, and I, I call this the smash and grab, there's a ton of people out there that will challenge you and, and try to do what you're doing because they see you doing it. And there could be even people listening to this podcast right now who are saying to themselves that they want to mimic what I'm doing or whatever. Let me, let me tell you, if you're thinking that, uh, I will give you some positive advice. Mimic what I'm doing, but follow your own, uh, your own bliss. You know, you, if there's something you're truly passionate about, then go do that. And um, don't do it because you think there's money in it. You know, do it because you love doing it. Whether or not right. you end up at the same place at the end of it doesn't really truly matter. What matters is, is that journey that took you there, the fuel was your passion. And believe it or not, money does not fuel things very well. You know, um, there's a lot of shitty, great paying jobs out there. Um, I've, what I've discovered is, is if I truly don't believe in the project, I can't, number one, I can't sell it. 
And number two, because I just can't, I, I'm just, I, I'm a terrible um, representative of things that I don't truly believe in. And, and n- number two, if, if you, if I didn't have that passion for what I'm doing and that every day, that possibility, I would never get out of bed. I have no reason to like zero. Like I would just, I, there's no reason for me to work as many hours as I work right now. And it's, it's the only reason is, is that I truly fucking love this work. I love doing it and I love being a part of this community and helping others. So it becomes, that is what's going to drive me into the stratosphere. You know, if you're looking at my meteoric rise and you're going, man, I want to do that. Know that it all started with a fire inside of me that was a passion for metalwork and sculpture and engineering. That was where it started. You know, it wasn't like, oh, hey, I can make some money if I do this. It's like, there's a lot of ways to make money. You know that that they're out there. Um, this is a truly a passion project, and I think that that's the basis for the success. And and it could be your success too. And I think honestly, Jeff, I see your passion for this. Whenever I hear you on a different podcast or I, I listen to the work that you're doing, I always think, how does he have the energy and time for this? And then I have to go back and look at myself and look in the mirror and think people think the same thing of me. How does he have the time for this or the passion for, or the, uh, the energy for this? And it's truly because of the passion and you believe in it too. So that's the reason. Well, you're once again, you're too kind. I just, I don't, I, I, I have a, I have people in my family who say they're going to do things and they don't do it. And it drives me. I don't like it when people, I, I have a problem when people tell me what they're going to do and they don't do it. I recently got invited on a podcast that doesn't even exist. This guy, says, I want you to come on my podcast. I'm like, okay, let me hear about your podcast. He's like, well, I haven't started it yet. I'm like, well, fuck you. Then you haven't done anything. It's like, it's legitimately, I was literally like, get the fuck out of here. He's like, well, I'm going to do it. I'm like, well, I haven't seen anything yet. And one thing is, is I feel like talk is cheap. And I also feel very, I feel very strongly about doing what you say you're going to do. Like that's always been like, I I probably a lot of it's out of spite. A lot of the things I do are out of spite. Like count being count out i was told i couldn't run the marathon a number of years ago because i was too big and i did the marathon and i'm planning on doing it again in two more years and i'm i i just i think a lot of things that i think that people have this their eyes are bigger than their stomach and i feel it's very important to be disciplined and do what you say you're going to do in regards to this podcast i gave myself a year and then after a year, I said, I'm going to give myself another year. And the one thing I really wanted to do was I wanted to be in control of um, the fact that I wasn't behind. I wasn't taking weeks off. I haven't taken one week off. There wasn't been one episode off since, since I started. And I felt very strongly about if I organize myself and I organize my time and I organize this podcast, it'll be easy and it'll be fun. And then I'll be making my commitment in a very you know, controlled way. Like I have, I'm lined up for, I'm lined up through Christmas now. And actually I'm lined up through New Year's Eve, New Year's. And that's, it allows me to not flail at the end and I can really concentrate on what I'm doing. And I can have one, I can have episodes like this with you where we just kind of fuck around and ramble on and stuff like that. And then I have, you know, other ones that are going to be a little bit more, I have to do a little bit more work on uh, in and it's some, some of them might not be as fun, but and I think it's important to be, 
I think it's very important to be disciplined. And I think that we all have this, there's this strange sense that discipline is this, it's this, it's this uncomfortable word that is supposed to be bad. And I don't necessarily, and I I don't think that's the case. Discipline, yeah, yeah. People f- are scared of discipline. You know, they don't. They I, hate it, right? They don't like it, and it's ba- the basis of a majority of success is just like being consistently uh, there and doing the work every single day. The other thing about being a self-driven person and and trying to be successful with doing your own endeavors is trying to actually ha- keeping yourself on track every single day. You're you're uh, you've been doing fader knives now for what ten years? Has been uh, fader knives? I don't. I don't. Summer. To be there? honest with you, the funny thing is, I don't fucking count anything anymore. Interesting. Like I don't okay. like to. I'll, I'll tell you why. It's because I ha- I went to school with this kid. He was a good dude, and he would he but he would tell us how many times he had sex with his girlfriend, <laughs> but the same one. He'd, he'd tell us of the same one. So, like, he'd come back from the weekend. He's like, 45. Oh and then the God. next time, 48. 40, we're just like, why the fuck are you uh. counting? It's like, why are you counting? Why do we need to know this? And then I would I would number my lures, the lure sculptures. And then all of a sudden, I could think of this, this fucking same thing. Is that what guy? And the same thing with the knives, same thing with time, same thing. The only time, the only amount, the only things I remember, and I remember my how many years I've been married, and then my birthdays and my wife and my daughter's birthday. But other than that, I really don't try to keep count. I think I'm, I think I'm around seven or so. Okay. Seven so, or so professionally, something so like that. So let's, let's take that seven years. And in that seven right. years, your daily routine has probably dramatically been modified, right? Uh, you know, from the start of where you, you know, first quit, you know, quit your regular day job stuff. And you're like, all right, I'm doing this now. That routine the things you did in that routine dramatically changed, but the habit of that routine is the same. Would you agree? Well, just to back it up, I mean, it is not really because what happened was I was in a metal shop and I had a pretty decent job, but I was miserable there. And then a friend of mine started this contracting company and he wooed me away with, you know, a good salary and, you know, opportunities for growth and, you know, and then it turned out to be a complete disaster. It, compl- it completely to the point where I was, you know, unceremoniously let go after an installation on a Friday, you know, and it was like everything about it was like the promises made were not kept. And it was really it was a very, very it was embarrassing. It was humiliating. It was how could I be so stupid? It was to the point where I really felt I had no choice, but I, I had made, I was making a sculpture on the side, and I got to focus on that, and then I have to pull myself out because whatever was supposed to happen didn't happen. So I really didn't give myself a choice. I didn't really. And the funny thing is, is like I had the ability to get unemployment, but because the, the way unemployment was. I would have been taking unemployment checks and it would have been coming out of my former job that I quits unemployment uh, bin or their whatever their their account. And I just was too embarrassed to do that. I didn't want to, you know, I quit there. I quit the job not in a nice way. I could have gone back if I wanted to. I, I would never burn bridges. And I chose to not take the unemployment because I didn't, I was too humiliated and then I was just like, I'm going to fucking do whatever it takes to make money. I didn't really have a choice. My back was against the wall, and I decided, and I didn't want, 
you know, and my kid was very young and we didn't really have help. And I had the shop and behind the house and I could pick my kid up. And it was, it was a, it was, I was forced into making a decision. Do I want to find another job or do I want to like go back and beg for my former yeah. job? You know, so I, it was, was it. it was, it was far more, it was far more different than these, these, these glory, these glorious, you know, decisions to, I'm just going to quit my job and now I'm yeah. free. It was like, I had to dig from the gutter. I mean, not a gut, not the gutter, but I had to dig from a really hard place to come out of. Yeah. So I didn't really give myself, I didn't give myself, I didn't give myself, uh, I didn't give myself an inch. Well, that, you know, I didn't know that. I thought that maybe it was more of a conscious decision. Now I will say that um, it's, it, the, the way I see success in entrepreneurial endeavors, whatever that is, is, is typically one of two things. It's out of necessity. Like you were in a position where you're like, I have, you're at a crossroads. You could have gone back to your existing job or, or old job and went back to it. And then, or you decided to start, uh, being, uh, self-employed. And that becomes a very serious situation, you know, where you knew you had to make a certain dollar amount to make this happen. And I've heard you talk about the, you know, the conversations you've had with Hillary and you said, look, I think there's something to this. I can do this. And, you know, and then there's the other path like me where I actively just I walked into my boss's office and I handed him my res or my resignation letter. And I said, I'm out of here. Like I, I am working for myself. That's it. Done. And that was, you know. 2006 and you know ever since it was just like that's what I wanted to do with my life I wanted to be a business owner and I knew that at a very young age um I I will say that there's really no difference in the way that that works it's just you know you you eventually end up in the same I eventually ended up in the same position where you were where it was absolutely necessity for me like I could not work for somebody else any longer and the importance of that is is that you you know uh I'm 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 a big proponent of capitalism i know a lot of people are like you know anti-capitalism and whatever else but i believe in the system i really do um i don't think it we do anybody any favors by handing them things you know i you know when you hand somebody something and they didn't have to work for it there just isn't an appreciation for that so it's super important that you struggle i think struggle is an enormous part of um, proving to yourself that you can do it and once you've proven to yourself that you can do it, everything else is fair game. You now have the ability, you have like a blank check to like go and it frees your mind of the concern that, you know, is making money or, or working for yourself. But, you know, I just, I really, I really like listening to your journey and, and, um, and getting to know you better, Jeff. And it's, it's an interesting path that you took. I didn't, I didn't fully understand that you had, you know, you had lost a job or you quit a job and then lost a job. And that's just such a, such a, that must have been such a, a painful sort of heavy time for you. But it was also well, it was a very terrifying. positive. Yeah, but it's also very positive. It, it pushed it, you to do what you're doing now. Which I think it is wasn't great. positive in the beginning. It wasn't positive in the beginning, and sure. I'll tell you, um, really, because the the metalworking job was just very like it was. We I called it a pump pump shop, which was basically we were doing 
ornamental. We weren't doing ornamental ironwork. We were doing stuff for uh, union. We were. It was a. It was a fabrication shop, and then things were going out the door for these union guys to install. And it was super fast pace, and it was ridiculous deadlines all the time, and I hated it. And then, you know, there was like having to work, you know, weekends, and and it was like everything working late, and it, there was these like. It was just one of those things I just didn't like, and I was encouraged to my friends, you know, was doing well with the carpentry and needed a hand, and it was really one of those things that I did, I ended up learning a lot about wood working for him. The problem was, was, I mean, you know, so Friday, we, we, we installed this thing, we're driving back, he, the guy's very quiet in the car, and then I immediately think something's wrong. And then he says, I got bad news. And then he laid me off in the car on the way back from the, to the shop. And I remember coming home and being terrified. I was terrified from, to, to tell my wife, what was she going to say? You know, I was, you know, she was encouraging me to give this a try with this guy. And she was nervous. What are we going to do? And I, she, she said, let's just take the weekend. And I've just relaxed over the weekend. I was nervous the whole time. I was thinking, what am I going to do on Monday? When Monday comes around, what am I going to do? And I'll tell you what I did. And this day fucking sucked. We had all these old cast iron uh, radiators, like a lot of them. We had like five. And then I took a hand truck and I brought them out of the basement, up, up a set of stairs. And then I loaded my car up with like five or six of these you know, each cast iron radiator was like two or 300 pounds. And I took it to the scrapyard and they weighed the car with everything in it. And then they dumped out the radiators. And then you know, I was sweating and I was exhausted. And I was like, I'm going to get some money for this. And then I go into the, they, they give me the, you know, they give me the slip. They weigh the car afterwards. And I go in and the guy gives you like 150 bucks or something like that. I'm just like, God damn, I worked fucking so hard and I, what am I going to do for the next you know it was really like it was terrifying because I was like I need to do whatever it takes and I you know luckily for me my my uh, my old friend uh, John Ledford started a shop by me and we got a few jobs in and then we were trying to make it work as a blacksmith shop and and a school and stuff like that it just he didn't have it in him and his health wasn't right and the knife making just the knife making presented itself. The knife making presented itself because we were teaching classes and it was his shop was like, I mean, literally now it's less than a mile from where my shop is now. We were teaching classes. We had uh, Darren Fisher was a jeweler. He came in. I was teaching a sculpture class. Uh, Matt Paul, MP Knives, he was teaching a knife making class and I was helping Matt. And then it was, it was just like, oh, let me see if I could do this. And then it was like, it became very easy. We were also doing a couple railing jobs, but it was like, it was terrifying. The railing jobs parts was terrifying because John wasn't, his health wasn't very good. And, and it was hard to do big railing jobs, you know, because we were on the third floor and getting steel up there and getting it down and installing and the whole nine yards. I got real lucky with the knife making, but it didn't, I never said to my wife, I think there's something here. I fucking did, and then I just walked in with this wad of cash and say, this is what we're doing. Oh, it was right, like I okay. had to prove to her. I had to prove to her that it was valuable. It was like a, it was like a wad of cash. It was like, this is now or now we're talking. Because you know, I came in that Monday with you know $135 for fucking scrap steel. I'm covered in filth and sweat and misery. And I'm like, yeah, look, here's 125 bucks. And she's like, God, you, you look like you, you've died. And now I'm like walking in with like this, 
you know, wad of cash and here we are. But I mean, it's, I think that there, there was a definitely, you know, if I could have made sculpture and made as much money as I was making knives, I would have still made, I probably would have stuck, stuck with the sculpture. I must admit. But at the same time, I don't really see a difference between the two in terms of the, 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 uh, the, the, the mindset, the mindset's still there. Yeah, there you go. I agree. That's I the, agree. That's that I, transition. Yeah. Came out I of scare, right. being scared. Being scared. Sink or swim good. time. You, yeah. Sink, sink or swim. It was man. major sink or swim. It was scary. It and was real scary. And sometimes you swim and you sink again. And and then it's it's a it's a cyclical thing, and you're back and forth, and you're losing you know you're losing ground, you're gaining ground, you're losing ground, you're gaining ground, which is why I like to count the years of how long I've been doing this, so I can kind of you know use it as a reference. But I see your point; it can get a little annoying, where you know people are talking about like I've been doing it for this long, I've been a machinist for thirty years, yeah. and you should be using shoulder bolts. And it's like, all right, look, you know this is the real world. This is where we are, you know, and and uh, and so. All right, so uh, real quick, I, to, to switch gears, to bring something a Go little ahead. lighter, I got a message from a, a common friend the other day, and it just happened to be one of the best dad jokes that I'd ever heard, and uh, that mutual friend was just on your podcast. Uh, his name is Tomer Botner of Florentine okay. Kitchen Knives. It's going to be bad. Took- it's not going to be bad. Really I, he tells me jokes are never good. His jokes, <laughs> Tomer's jokes are never good. Never. All right. I, all right you ready Go for ahead. this? We don't have a trombone. All the time. All right. All here the we time. Go, uh, go ahead. I, I bought a pair of shoes from a drug dealer. I'm not sure what he laced them with, but I've been tripping all day. Jesus Christ. These See? fucking things. These that fucking was, things. that's no, Tomer. No, no, that was. Don't blame me. Blame, I love Tomer. Blame him. I love Tomer, but I mean, they get bad. <laughs> jokes. He sent me some jokes. Those shits are bad. That was they probably, are so bad. That interview with Tomer was probably one of my favorites to listen to because I respect him so much as a business person. I just think, I mean, I'm fascinated by him as a person. I mean, he's just such an interesting guy. And then he's also awesome. uh, Steve Pellegrino, man. Like, that was just, like, I don't know much about him, but. Um, yeah. Listening to his mindset and the discussion, it's the work you're doing is fantastic. Bringing all these people in and talking and telling and listening to stories that that would otherwise go unheard, you know, by the majority of the masses. Anyway, um, well, I the, just love that. The, with this, I appreciate it. This podcast for me is has been. I, I one of the things I've heard from other podcasts is people talk about the equipment that they have, and a lot of times it becomes very inapproachable, unapproachable to the listener because a lot of times people listening to podcasts, you know, if you're in a, like a fabrication shop, if you're in like a big fabrication shop where you're actually working, they don't want you listening to podcasts. You shouldn't be, I remember, I remember when I was in the last fabrication shop, they really didn't, you, you're not really, you're not really meant to be like hanging out and listening to podcasts so the people who are listening to podcasts are usually in their car or they're driving to work or they're going to or they're in their shop or their garage so i really wanted to try to do something where it was relatable so instead of talking about like salem straub's perfect example i'm not going to talk i don't i don't want to talk about what power hammers he has because he's got like a massive amounts of power hammers and you know whatever it's it becomes less it becomes people are all of a sudden, this is still this godlike person who they, it, it, they're inapproachable. 
So I'm far more interested in that the person that they are, and then you get this kind of relationship between these people and the listener. Like they're, you strip away the shit that they have, and it's more about the mindset that they have or how they got to a certain spot. So these people all become much more approachable. And I think about all the podcasts I've done, and I've been very fortunate to, I know these people too, so it makes it a lot easier. One thing I did learn from Howard Stern, who just recently interviewed Paul McCartney, he, Paul McCartney did a great job with. Billy Jolie did a great job with. Um, he did not do a great job with Mick Jagger, and I'll tell you why. He doesn't know him. He's friends with Paul McCartney. He's friends with Billy Joel. The best interviews that he does are with people that he knows, like like Dave Grohl. He, they're friends. Dave Grohl's been on like eight times. The people, Elton John, these guys, he, he knows them. And I've taken that in regards to this podcast where – my guest is comfortable and familiar with me, so they become more less guarded. So then, then, and then, I stay away from the whole. So tell us about yourself, because it's like I, I don't want to get the bullshit you have on your bio. You know, I, I want to get. You know, I already know you do this and do that. Let's just talk about that. So I really feel very strongly about. Um, I like what's going on. I, I'm very, I'm very fortunate, and I appreciate. I appreciate this podcast, and I appreciate the guests who've been on, and and um, I like the direction. I think the direction's good. I agree. You do you do a fantastic job with with exactly what you just described, which is like taking somebody like Tomer, for instance, who who really does not like to talk about himself. Oh, I hates it. And and get him opened up and discussing things, and um, and then in turn educating everyone who's listening to him and i think that's something that would have gone completely um i I totally had forgotten about the thing with him um in israel where you're like required to go into the military i forgot about that i I knew it but i just never dawned on me that he went through that you know and to to hear his experience was fascinating yeah, you know he is he is a he's a he's a wonderful person, and I'm fortunate. I mean, I, he and I kind of talk, you know, probably every week. I mean, either with you know DM or we we do uh, WhatsApp every so often. And we talk, and I've been trying to get him on something for over a year, and he always says to me, "I'm too nervous. I'm too nervous." And I always say, "I'm like, dude, you know me, and I'm not going to put you down in a bad spot, you know." But um, one of the episodes that I thought was really I really felt very strongly about was last week's episode with Josh Smith because Josh has done something that is very interesting. And what he's done as a knife maker is he's been able to, I mean, you know, Josh Smith, master blade Smith, but he's been able to kind of, instead of like capitalize and say, all right, I'm just going to make $20,000 swords from now on. And he could, he could, I mean, he could, whatever he gets, he can get. I mean, he's like top of the food chain. He's create. He's found this community of hunters and crossfitters and you know outdoors people, and it's very hip these days. And these younger athletes are doing more hunting, and he's embraced this whole lifestyle, which is it's so different from the way other people do it. And I, I am fascinated. By, his story is very very fascinating to me. And the one interesting thing is, is he and I are very, we're very we're. We, I appreciate one thing I never got to say on the last podcast is during the pandemic when my wife was in really bad shape, he was checking in on me a lot. Like of all my friends, he was the one person he was checking in on me. He called me up and he says, I want to know where you live because I'm going to send you food from a restaurant in your area. I mean, I had to like stop him. I had to say, don't, don't, you know, 
He was uh, he he and he and I are politically very different. I mean, we we just are. I mean, a lot of it's based on how we were raised and where we were raised. But I mean, we have this friendship that's based on um, on just being good good people, good friends. I mean, he's he's done. Uh, he checked. He used to check in on me and my wife like for weeks, and it was it was really like it meant something to me. But I mean, his story his story right now is fascinating. It's fascinating. Really fascinating. I, I, I honestly haven't listened yet, so I need to go and listen to that one. Definitely but I, worth not, it. I will tell you that multiple people have told me that it is an excellent interview that I need to listen to it. So, um, and you know, well, Monta- uh, Montana, you know, the cool. Though. Well, the interesting thing is, is I remember talking to him beforehand, right before he decided to get a business partner. We were talking about business partners and what the expectations are and stuff like that. What he's done with his business partner, who's awesome at photography, he's awesome at media, he's awesome at at marketing. They've just created something with Montana Knife Company. Whether you're a hunter or not, you have to appreciate how he's he's created something really out of nothing but his name. And it, it is it is really his story is right now is one of the more fascinating ones politically. Whatever it doesn't. Really, I mean, it, honestly, it doesn't really matter. I, I honestly, I, one of the things I've I've said in the in the past is I don't talk about politics because I'm not interested in hearing about your politics or not you, but like the listeners' politics. So I leave it yeah, out. Sure. I mean, you don't want to hear what I have to say. I don't want to hear what you just have to say either. But at the same time, it is he's really kind of done a lot that's uh, fascinating. Politics are are divisive. I, you know, I don't I don't like that at all, and um, I, I stay away from it. That's as well. too bad. Yeah, it's it too is. bad. It's too bad, and and it, and it, and it, it's like it's very, uh, you know. Look, it's too bad. It's unfortunate, but then you know that's what people 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 like to say what they have to say. People, right? Really, what it comes down is people like to hear what they, hear something, and then they repeat it, and then regardless of whatever side you're on, there's this uh, moral, you know, hierarchy. But just to finish things off, just to finish things, this is a story that came up now that I wanted to talk to you about, just because I find it all to be very fascinating. And Craig breaks my balls all the time because I said I was going to get a Peloton, and I got a Peloton because of the Full Blast podcast. I used all the you know the sponsor money went to go got a Peloton, and since I've been using it, I've lost a lot of weight, and I really I love it because so Peloton's a bike, and then you it, it's it has this streaming service that you pay for, and then you can take live classes or they have these classes that uh, you know by cycling classes. They also have a treadmill. I don't fuck with that, but. And they have these, you know, different types of uh, different types of trainers and different programs, and it's great. It's very much similar to how podcasting is, where you know you can get new classes every day. You can schedule a time. It works for me because I don't have to go to a gym. I can just you know wake up and you know start in, and you feel you get the lights off and you get the thing on. You definitely feel like you're in a you're in a class. You don't feel like you're in your house, and you know the different characters and stuff like this. So this is an interesting thing because. Actually, Tomer sent me a message because he was saying, he's like, well, you, we don't have, we can't get uh, Peloton down here in, in Spain. And there are certain spots and stuff like that. So the reason why I became famous, I mean, well, I became successful is because during the pandemic, people couldn't go to the gym. So they were buying, they were, you know, getting rid of their gym membership and they were buying Pelotons. So Peloton had this dramatic spike in sales because people were working out at home now, you know. So he sent me this email, a message saying that their stocks are going down, the the profits are going down because people are starting to go back to people are starting to go back to gyms, 
and that Peloton is, you know, getting less subscribers and less whatever. And um, what's interesting is, is there's this like, there's this, there are these strange things happening with the, with the instructors. The instructors are very, you have the instructors that you like and some of them, you know, some of them curse and they're different body types and different women and men. And you start to like certain people for certain reasons, just like you would like a podcast. Like you follow someone because you know what they're going to say, you know, their intonation, you know, the kind of music they like, you know, how they're going to go. And you feel comfortable with riding with these different types of people. So Peloton has created these like almost celebrities. So you have the, this. Um, so I was, when I was talking to Tony about it, he was just saying, well, you know, you can't just because they're having a bat, you can't judge the company based on a one banner a year. You have to basically look at it from before the pandemic to now. If it's dropping off, you really should you should take, you know, 2020 and 2021 and kind of like you need to like sh- shift it over a little bit. It was like a really good year. The pandemic was really good for you. So, there. If you have any questions so far? Am I am I going to am I going too crazy? No, no. I I fully understand Peloton. I I'm a subscriber. I don't have a a bike, but I have the I have an iPad on a stationary bike, and uh, my, oh. my wife uses it more than anything. But you you don't actually have to own the device. I thought that was kind of cool. For like twelve bucks a month, you can you can use the service and just have your own you know standard bike. The service is great. I mean, the classes are awesome. The classes really are awesome, are. and I have... They're great. I love the classes, and I love... I'll be honest with you, the bike is beautiful, by the way. But, um, so, I was, I was looking, I was listening, I was listening to Howard Stern today, and he was talking about, I don't know if you heard, but there was this concert, there was this concert down by you, uh, or no, the, was it uh, Day, the Daytona Beach? There was this Daytona Beach concert, and there was this... There's this Rage Against the Machine cover band or something like that. It was a it was a band that played Rage Against the Machine, and the lead singer, the lead singer turns to the crowd and she says, "I got to go to the bathroom. Um, will somebody come up here?" And then this guy comes up on the stage. She pulls her pants down and she pees on him. Pees on the, this, this guy in the middle of the concert. Well, it's a crazy story, and everyone's just like, whoa, this is like, this is disgusting. This is disturbing. This is like Gigi Allen style. You know, it's awful. And Howard Stern was talking about it. He's like, yeah, and, it's, and the, it's the girlfriend of one of the Peloton instructors. And I was like, what? And I, and I, looked, I, I looked up the interview. I looked up who it was, and I was just like, it's the, it's the girlfriend of my, one of my favorite Peloton instructors. And I immediately went to, I immediately went to Peloton to see, are they going to fire her? Are they going to, what is going to happen to this poor woman whose girlfriend, you know, peed in the face of this weird guy at this concert. And it was this strange, and all the articles are like a Peloton instructor's girlfriend did this whole the thing. It was this bizarre, so bad, not great news, bad that way. And then on the other side, and I don't, this isn't something I, um, I don't know if you watch Dancing with the Stars. I, I stay away from that. I don't really watch any of that stuff. No, have you I ever don't, seen I that show? I, I have seen it. I cannot get into it. I am. I, I like reality Me TV. Neither. There's certain kinds, though. It has to be just trashy enough for me. I'm like a marrying millions kind of guy. I don't know if you've ever seen that. Or like a 90 Day Fiance. Those are those are like some of the best classic reality tv out there it's great 
I don't. I don't really. I mean, I, the last reality show I ever watched was the fucking Tiger King. I mean, I really. I well, don't I really too. get. Yeah. I, I don't really get involved. So, there's the show called Dancing with the Stars, and they just announced before I came on here that the finale is one of the other Peloton instructors. <laughs> so, a Peloton instructor is in the finale, and what's interesting. <laughs> the only reason why I know this is because when I do the rides. All the I have three instructors that I like, and they're always saying, "Vote for Cody tonight." You got to vote for Cody. So they're like getting all the Peloton wow. fans they're to push this dude, the Peloton people, to oh, vote. This guy, Whoa. no one would ever know who this guy is. No one would never know never who know. this guy is. Never know. I mean, this guy Cody. He's like, who? He's a star. He's a star from what? He's a Peloton instructor. So you have this totally bizarre situation these two this duality between one of the peloton instructors is like in you know related to this wacko who pees on people in front of the you know people people's mothers were calling the police because they were watching the the, the concert with their children and then she pulls her <laughs> pants down to pee on this guy and yes. then in the other one you have in the finale of dancing with the stars her coworker, you know, it's just this. I find <laughs> like, the whole thing to be. It's like, what kind of business is that? I mean, it's just totally crazy. They've created this. It's this bizarre, bizarre thing. I'm fascinated by. I can't. I know. I immediately when when I went home for lunch, I was just like, let's go look at the schedule to see if, you know, if this Peloton instructor is actually going to be teaching. Because she she stood over after the weekend after like this first article saying that this woman is like you know married to or your fiance to the Peloton instructor. Her social media like went dark. It went totally dark. Best move ever. And, that's, uh, that's what you got to do. Just go dark. No responses. Just let it all play well, she's, out. She, People luck, will forget. They're letting her. They're letting her. They're letting her roll, and everything's going to be cool. But it is. It was like I, I, on one. These two articles coming out of like one Peloton instructor is in this embroiled in this thing that you're never going to get away from. The peeing on someone in a in a concert will haunt you forever. You can't. This isn't. You know, this isn't like Ozzy yeah. biting a head off a bat. Yeah. But I find it all to be, you know, Craig breaks my balls about it, but I find this to be like, this is the this is the most fascinating company in the world. I mean, it's just like, I can't get, I can't get enough of you it. You can't make this shit up. I mean, it's, it's good and bad. Oh, you can't bad. make it up. It's good and bad. And, and just for the audience, I want to paint a picture if you haven't seen the video of the woman doing this act. It is, it is like, um... Imagine a guy laying on his back on the floor of the stage and she just legit drops trow, straddles his face and fire hoses him and just in I his heard face. it was now, like a fire hose. Yeah. I am not a prude. All right. I, you know, I think, you know, whatever. <laughs> okay. No judgment. All right. I don't <laughs> okay. you, know, you want to do whatever you want to do. But when you do that on stage yeah. in front of unsuspecting like when you go to see this band i think what the brass uh whatever it's called uh you you know that you're going to see a band play rage tunes or whatever i think they cover other songs too because i've I've listened to some of their other stuff and it's actually really good it's like good music um and they do it with uh, um, uh, instruments um right. not, not standard instruments like wind wind instruments and other things and I'm like, okay, well, you know, this is cool. Like, this is some, like, avant-garde shit, you know, whatever. And then this woman just, like, and she's not bad-looking, you know. She's like, does not look like the type of person that would perform this act on a stage. Right. 
that's why I think it's if this isn't CBGB's here, you know, like this isn't right. like, you know, the punk underground punk rock scene. This is not the place you do these things. And and I think that's what all the drama swirling around this thing. I think it's, you know, uh, hey, look, do whatever you want. But, you know, uh, hey, peeing on somebody's face in front of all of those people. And, and, and you could hear the crowd going like, oh, no, oh, gross. It's and this just... guy is into it, by the way. He is Have you totally watched it? into it. I saw the video. You it, it came up oh, on my God. Reddit feed. Yeah. Me. It oh, came up on my Reddit me, feed. You can't give me the You can't watch. You got to see it, Jeff. Come on. Watch. Oh, you got to no have some way. context. There's just no way. I don't need it's it. for science. I don't need it. I will tell you the funniest part is the uh, her her. I mean, she's 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 her her wife or her fiance is a very is very in, on Peloton. She's very popular, and she to the point where she does this is her she does they they do these you know they're smart on Peloton. They they'll have like they did a Elton John ride or they're gonna do a Foo Fighters ride or yeah. they'll you know have these artist series weeks and they have content. They're creating content for the ride. To keep you able to, I do this on Sundays. My favorite, my favorite, uh, uh, Jen Sherman, who I heard of because she would go on the Howard Stern show. She does a, a sixty-minute covers ride where they, what they'll do is they'll play cover songs, and you have to guess who what the song is, and then who's covering it. So it's kind of like they make it they make it fun, like they make it fun. So the the the, the girlfriend of who peed the the the, the peeing girlfriend instructor. <laughs> She. This is what. This is what made me laugh so hard today when I found this out. I was just like, "How am I? I can't talk." Craig and give a shit about this. You don't want to talk about this on Knife Talk. I don't talk about talking to Brian. So she has this art. Her own artist series. Her name is Jess King, and she has the Jess King Experience. That's what it's called because it's like this rave and there are lights and there's a DJ and she's on the you know she's on the uh, on the Peloton and it's like very like it's it's, it's kind of wild to watch, but the hilarious part is it's like the Jess King Experience. Sounds like she's got an experience because it's like she's got her her <laughs> wife. Her wife is just peeing on people, in, unsuspecting people, and on stage. We've had enough experience. It's just hilarious. I couldn't get enough of it. The whole story fascinates me. And then, meanwhile, you know, Dancing with the Stars. The coworkers going to Dancing with the Stars. I mean, it's just this. I find it all to be fascinating. Could this be uh, from a conspiracy side? Could this be Peloton's sort of long shot? Uh, deal where they're trying to generate more hype around their brand like hey look we're cool we're into like you know piss parties and and, and <laughs> win woodwinds and, and and all of that i mean it could be and then I dancing with can. the stars time i don't think I mean, you can I, I i don't agree. think you I think can this make this shit up the yeah you can't make this shit up no this would have been this, this. would have been this would have been a good story for Nico if I when I do the pat downward spiral, except for the fact that he despises working out, so he's not going to give a shit about. He's gonna, I'll bring it up and see what he says, but he doesn't give a shit about. You know, <laughs> but I just thought it was a. I thought it was. I just thought, I just find it all to be very funny. And uh, well, what else? What do you got? What do you got? Let's let's wrap this thing up. What's going on with you now? What's what's the what's the end? Where are we headed? What's going on with the Work for It podcast? What's going on in the life of Brian House, and we'll wrap this thing up. What's the future? Uh, the future holds uh, absolutely the same for me, which is a lot of hard work and and um, you know creating more content, you know, and inspiring others. I, you know, the thing about a lot of people think I plan, you know, months out and ahead. I've never been that type of person. I've always been just kind of go with your gut type 
thing. Right now, building out my new shop has been primary my primary focus. You know, the studio and workshop has been. Um, I was working in this little tiny 500 square foot space, and uh, now I have like 1,300 square feet. Um, so I've more than doubled, you know, what I can work in. Uh, and I'm building a mezzanine out of steel. Um, so, and I've got some help from the community, people I've met, you know, that live locally that want to come help me do that. I own a fucking fork truck now, which is insane to me. I can't even believe I own a fork truck. And um, the goal, I think, for me, when I look like to my future and what I want it to look like, is absolutely more projects that will help the community or help more people get involved in making things, whether it be knives or or whatever. It it doesn't that whatever you're making doesn't really fully. I'm not a specific person like that. I you know if you're making something, you're doing something productive with your time. And you're uh, doing meaningful work, and I was a part of that, or I helped you become uh, more of a maker, then my job is complete. That's it. That's what I want for my life. Um, obviously, want to, you know, see my kids be productive members of society and all of that, but I feel like my work revolves around that too, because I bring them along for the ride. So, uh, yeah, that's it, man. And then Work For It Podcast, you, if you want to follow uh, Work For It, you can on Instagram, workforit.podcast, or you can find me at housemade.us on Instagram, which is also my website, housemade.us. So you can find me there, and you can follow me there. And then you can say, hey, Brian, what's up? And I'll say, what's up? What are you making? And then you're going to show me, and then I'm going to say tag WFI Projects, and then we'll talk about it. Brian that's House, it making it happen making Every it happen well day. i always enjoy talking with you you know we used to talk on the phone i, I still like that you're always welcome on here and and uh, i appreciate what you're doing with all the guys down over at uh, work for it brian and ben doing a nice job um also guys if you want to join the a wild and wacky uh, facebook group definitely join diy grinders on facebook it's like it makes me nervous i mean i feel like it's like you know like mongolian you know war clubs are about to come out and people are getting (laughs) conked on the head on that fucking thing and you got that you got the highest level to the lowest level on that (laughs) i mean it's like you legitimately on diy grinders it's the highest level and the lowest level of humanity on that on that who are it's members like of that group so the, the way i see it is is it's like remember when your school bus broke down and you had to ride the short bus it's like that we're all in the same bus together we're all mixed up so uh short I'm, bus and long bus people all in the same room and we're all talking about basically what we're talking about is um, belt grinders and machines that we design and build ourselves so you can see where that would turn into a total shit show <laughs> yeah, it's you get seventeen thousand members. Really you, yeah, it's awesome. I mean, it's seventeen thousand members, and 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 uh, <laughs> yeah, I know a lot of them from different parts of my life, which is hilarious. So, guys, <laughs> thank you once again, and once again, the great Brian House, Work for a Podcast, and and House Made in- Industries. Go follow him. We'll have him. You know who he is. You know why he's here. So we'll we'll see you next week. Next week is the return of the Black Friday special, Cowboy Talk. Jonathan Porter and Ben Snur will be here. Uh, we did that last year. We had the Black Friday special last year. If you want to listen to that, we're gonna. It's gonna be. I'm gonna be learning about cowboys again, and uh, who knows what's gonna happen. So we'll see you then. I got some good stuff coming up for the Christmas holiday and the the uh, Thanksgiving and the Christmas. And Nico's coming back. Pat Quinn's gonna come back. We're gonna talk about what's going on in the Center for Mental Arts. 
And we have a few other friends. We have a special Santa Claus, not Sharp Santa, but we have a Santa Claus coming in. Uh, we're going to have a special Christmas special, and uh, we'll have some fun. So, guys, listen to the. thank you for listening to the podcast. Do me a favor. I'm, I'm begging you. Leave a review. It helps the podcast out. Uh, use the sponsor codes and go get yourself some Axe Wax. Get yourself a new website, and we'll see you next week. Thanks again, Brian. You rule. I appreciate you, Jeff. Thanks so much for having me on. The Full Blast Podcast is proudly sponsored by Axe Wax, an all-natural, food-safe wax for coating your handles. It can be used on your axes, your knives, or even on your boots with the full confidence that Axe Wax is safe and durable. Furthermore, if you use the promo code FULLBLAST10, you will get a special 10% discount on your order. So go to axewax.us and get yourself some of the most luxurious wax for waxing your axe. If you like this show, take a look at our other shows made for makers just like you at www.makery.network. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.